Late Show Library. We head in again this week with a, another author, a terrific book called After the Count, The Death of Davy Brown. Uh, and uh, Stephanie Convery joins me now, who's the author of this book. Hello, Steph. How are you going? Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, congratulations. Well, no, there's there's such a uh, a sense of relief and uh, and all the things that go with it uh, in actually getting your book published and out, out into the bookstores. Yeah, it, it's a very, um, it's a kind of an overwhelming process writing a book, particularly when you have a full-time job as I do. So it's, uh, it's really great to kind of have it, all that work finally available for people to engage with and to read and to talk about. And it's a fascinating story. There's no doubt about that. And one of the things I have to say about this book is um, uh, a lot of people these days have a tendency to insert themselves in the story. You didn't do this. You kind of have a story about yourself that runs along parallel to the way you kind of uh, uh, investigated and and worked on this story about uh, the the death of uh, Davy Brown, which is a really fascinating way to go about it. Well, I really felt when I was investigating what had happened to Davy that part of the reason that it was so important to me was because I was a boxer. Um, so obviously Davy was a boxer. I had seen his, his death occur. I, I, had seen, I hadn't seen it directly, but I had seen the news reports about his death So I, I, while I was training. So it was, it was very important to me to find out what had actually happened and understand it. And so I felt that that personal quote-unquote journey, but that, that personal engagement that I had might also be of interest to other people, particularly because I think there are a lot of people who look at boxing from the outside and other kinds of combat sports and don't really understand why people do it. And I think that it was really important for a story like that. You really did, you really do need to understand why people box in order to understand what happened and why it happened. Yeah, it was an insight into into that psyche that uh, the thing's very important in the telling of this tale. Let, let's fill in the fill in the blanks for the people who don't know the story. It goes back to September 2015 and a, a, a boxing, a, a, a fight, a title fight uh, in an RSL club in Western Sydney. That's right. So Davey Brown was competing for the IBF Super Featherweight Pan Pacific title. It's not a massive title. It's a kind of Stepping stone. So he would, if he had won that fight, he, it would have put him in contention for bigger titles, um, bigger purses, and also possibly later on a world title. That was the ultimate goal. And so this particular fight was against a Filipino fighter called Carlo Magali. He'd been flown over from the Philippines specifically to fight Davy, and Davy was widely expected to win the fight. He he, his, opponent, his opponent sorry, had been chosen because they thought he would be somebody that would be a good fighter, but also somebody that David could potentially beat. You wouldn't want to match up your, the person that you're trying to elevate in the rankings with somebody that you thought that would completely outclass them. They had to be a, ma- a proper match. And so, I mean, David did do really well early on in the fight. He fought the first five rounds um, exceptionally well, and he was on top then. In the sixth round... He got hit pretty hard, and a lot of people who were at the fight that night remembered him being knocked down in that round. That didn't actually happen. It was kind of a very strange case of multiple um, mass misremembering, really. Um, But he did have a hard round, and he didn't win that round. And then later, the next few rounds, he kind of came back up until the 11th. And in the 11th round, he got knocked down twice, um, staggered back to his corner, and then was late coming out for the 12th round. And when he finally did come out for the 12th round, he could barely even throw a punch. And he was essentially uh, met with a barrage of punches from his opponent who knew that he could knock him out by this point and, and would have to knock him out to win the fight because Carlo was losing on points and then did. 
and it, he died three days later. It was an incredibly tragic story. Yeah, it's a, it is an incredibly tragic story. I mean, he was a father of a couple of kids. Um, obviously, you know, everyone's got a, a dad and a mum and all those things. And uh, it could easily, from what I can gather, be been so easily averted in uh, for the most part. Yes, I mean, his wife once explained it to me like um, an episode of Air Crash Investigations where there's a whole lot of tiny little things that in and of themselves mightn't have meant that much or been, been too far out of the ordinary way. But because they all happened at once, they led up to something catastrophic. Now, one of the key things that happened in Davey's fight was that nobody recognised that he was concussed. There were five people that night who could have stopped the fight and had a duty to stop the fight if they, if they thought that one of the boxers was impaired to the point where they couldn't continue, and he was, but nobody recognised that. And that was the problem. That was a really fundamental problem. Um, when you first heard about uh, this, uh, and, and you mentioned that you, at that stage you were training yourself, um, was it was it anger? Was it frustrated? Was it anger at what had happened? Was it anger at the way it was uh, portrayed that oh, j- these things just happen in boxing? Was that was that what really got your goat? It was it was the response initially of my own trainers. It was this uh, kind of collective avoidance of the topic. I I saw you know I saw the news reports and I thought this seems really wrong and also this is really awful. And also I'm training in this sport right now and I feel like this is something we should be talking about. Like obviously we're throwing punches at each other. This is a violent sport. Why do we not talk about the fact that this can also like kill people? And and I mean the the cor- the, the second part of that is it can also give people extremely devastating brain damage Um, but the people that I knew in my gym at the time they just did not want to talk about it I approached my trainer and I said look you know what do you think about this and he said oh it's just it's it's really sad obviously but it's just one of those things you've just got to get on and do it and, and get on with it and I just thought that was so inadequate how could you say that somebody dying is a consequence a direct consequence of this sport that we're all playing with such gusto is just one of those things seemed incredibly dismissive to me. It's not a um, cut, it's not a cut eye or a, you know a split lip is it it's death. No, exactly. It's the end of somebody's life and all you need to do is look at the effects on Davey's family let alone everybody else in his community. It it, it completely destroyed them. It it's changed their lives forever and it's it's left a massive hole in the lives of his his sons, his father, his brother, his mother, his wife, his sister. It's it's a huge, a huge thing. And to, and to kind of dismiss all of the uh, structures around which should have kept him safe as well. I mean, that, that, was, that was another thing that was quite problematic with the fight. There were all sorts of things that should have prevented him from dying that night. So there was a doctor next to the ring who should have looked up and seen that Davy was concussed. The referee should have made sure that he checked him before he came into the ring. His cornermen were there to protect him, to encourage him during the fight. And so the part of the tragedy is that these these people who who were supposed to be the safeguards failed in that. Stephanie Convery is uh, my guest. After the Count, the Death of Davy Brown is the, is the book that uh, that she's written. Is that what drove you? Is it, was it the injustice of, of how it was all kind of handed out? Because you, you made an attempt to kind of uh, get in touch with the family and, and do that, and you, you sort of got uh, duck shoved, not duck shoved, but you, you weren't able to make that happen for a fair while. And then it sort of all the ducks fell into place when you moved to Sydney and you were able to make a connection. That's right. I mean, I I didn't at the initially know that, something had gone wrong that night. I, I was a bit suspicious of the story about him 
losing his focus and looking at, at, at the loose tape on his left glove. That was what was being yeah. circulated in the news media and then in the first days after the fight. That was like that he had he had been winning right up to the last round and then he had to sort of lost concentration for a second and that was how his opponent was able to land that final blow. Now, I I I had tried to reach out to the family and um one of the ways that I tried to reach out to his wife was through Facebook. And at the time, this is such a weird quirk of technology, but Facebook hid messages from people that you didn't know. Yeah. And so she found my message literally literally the week I moved to Sydney, which was nine months after I'd actually sent the message. And so when we when we met up, it had been a full year since Davy had died. And I didn't really know if there was anything new that I was going to learn from that conversation. I went to meet her thinking, look, I'm interested in this. I think there's, there's probably a story to be told. I just don't know what that story is at this point. And what I discovered when I went to meet her was that she had the case of the fight and that it wasn't just a loss of concentration that led to Davy's death. It was something much more profoundly disturbing. And watching the tape of the fight, it was really clear to me that this was a man who was severely impaired by the end of that, that 11th round and should have been pulled up. The fight should have been stopped well, uh, well before it actually ended. How much did that rattle you when you found that news? I left, I left her house that day um, feeling like kind of electrified like this I I had I had discovered this story that I knew was going to be big I knew it was going to be a big deal but I also knew that there would be a lot of people who would um, potentially take it on a really kind of two-dimensional level and dismiss the boxing boxing as a sport but also the boxing community more generally and I thought that was really important to try to tell a story that was that engaged with the community, that didn't try to demonise them just with one sort of south loop, but also um, did justice to what had actually happened to Davy. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a kind of, I, I was angry at the sport and I was angry at the people who dismissed what had happened. I was angry that we didn't try to actually understand what it meant to be engaging in violence as a sport, but also... I really wanted justice in, in some way and I wanted to make sure that the story was told in a way that would at least kind of give some, put some way forward for the community more generally. So with all that feeling inside your head, how do you then step back into the ring and do boxing training? Well, it, I, it, I have to say it was quite difficult. I mean, I had quite scattered training um, for, the last, for the last three years while I've been writing this book. Partly it was because I didn't have a gym when I moved to Sydney, so I needed to find one, and so I was jumping from gym to gym. But I also got injured. I didn't you do your shoulder moving time. a pop plant or something? <laughs> Before moving to Sydney, I did a tendon in my shoulder, yeah, so I was out for six months, partly because three months while it healed, but then another three months while I tried to find a new gym. And then, um, and then, I, then I did actually get concussed, and that put me out for a few months because I actually had to get a whole series of brain scans and investigations from a neurologist. It was quite a terrifying time. Oh, which uh, you did discover a few things that were there, didn't you? I did. I don't want to give away too much of that because if you read the book, there's, there's quite, it's quite a complicated story there. Yeah. But um, I, am, I am okay. <laughs> I will say that. Good. I am okay. Um, I have a healthy brain. But uh, it really kind of brought home to me the dangers of, of combat sport and, and the dangers of concussion. I didn't really understand how to recognize the injury in myself or in other people. And that, I mean, that was one of the problems with 
with Davy's fight too. And so it kind of, it was serendipitous in a sort of awful way that I was personally going through this experience of managing concussion and the potential fallout of it while also investigating this story um, that had concussion at its heart, really. You confronted uh, the the people involved uh, with with what you'd learnt and what you knew. How how was that taken? How were how were you treated with that news when you confronted them with it? Most people who were officials um, during the fight that night did not want to talk to me. Yep. Uh, I heard I heard everybody's testimony at the inquest. I went I went on I went to every single day of the inquest and I took seventy five thousand words of notes of what had happened during that time. And I also had access to the evidence brief, which meant that I could read everybody's testimonies, um, a statement to uh, the police about that night. So I had a lot of evidence. Uh, and I had a lot of evidence that was you know, brought into the public domain when it was presented to the coroner. Um, it, was, it was very difficult to get many people to talk to me at all. I did have a very long conversation before the inquest with John McDougall, who was the Australian National Boxing Federation um, chairman, I think. Uh, he was he was very open with me about about the sport and about its history and about what he believed had happened that night and the people involved. Uh, I did also have very long conversations with Amy, Davy's wife, and Davy's father, Dave Senior, who both were very generous with their time and their openness with me. Um, and it's always a very a very difficult thing for somebody to open up to a journalist because yep. journalists are there sort of in a very odd capacity. You, you need to, you need to encourage somebody to, as a journalist, you need to encourage somebody to talk to you and to trust you with their story. And that's a big thing, but you're also not really a friend as well. Like if they trust you with their story, then they're also giving you some power to in the telling of that. And it's, it, that's, a, that's a burden for somebody. That's a burden for the journalist and it's also a source of anxiety for the person who's telling the story. So I was very aware of that throughout the whole process. Um, I'm very grateful to the people who did, who did um, honour me with their trust. I also completely understand the people who, don't, who didn't want to do that, who felt like they could not trust me with their story or were advised not to talk to the press, which is also something that does often happen when you are involved in an inquest or in, in, in an incident like that. But I think the boxing community, I think the boxing community will probably be fairly divided over what I think about what happened. I am prepared for that. But um, I do think this is a debate we have to have. After the Count, the Death of Davy Brown is the book. Stephanie Converi is the, uh, is the author. Um, one person I did want to ask you about was, uh, was his brother, who was in his corner at the time. Uh, your relationship with him uh, had, had uh, highs and lows? Tommy has consistently declined to be involved with the book, and that's his right to do that. We are not, we are not on, we are not close. We we do not have a um, professional relationship or otherwise. Yep. And that's that's entirely his prerogative. Um, I hope that he understands that I wrote the book with in good faith and with the best, to the best of my ability with the information that I had. Um, and I, I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I can do as a journalist. I, I think it's a story that's very much in the public interest, and I know that it's not going to be necessarily read well by everybody. But um, Tommy, Tommy has lost his brother, and so he is entitled to his feelings about what happens as a consequence of that. So that's my position on 
yeah. on that relationship. Yeah. Um, the the concussion issue, and I mean, in, in Victoria and Melbourne, uh, uh, where this radio program is broadcast, uh, we've had uh, Polly Farmer uh, and and the findings from uh, the, the 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 findings that were released recently about uh, what they found in uh, in his brain. We've got players talking about donating their brains to to science after they pass away uh, to help uh, you know in this whole concussion. The concussion thing in footy and in other sports is becoming a really big issue. Is it is it as big in boxing as it should be? Well, it's very it's funny you should say that because boxing is ground zero for head injury research. I mean, the first studies into what we now call chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which was what polypharma was found to have CTE, had. CTE, yeah. CTE, yeah. Um, were into boxes, and we called it dementia pugilistica almost okay. 100 years ago, punch drunk. So boxing, boxing has been associated with long-term head injury um, and brain damage for a long time. So it is really surprising that you would barely hear anybody talking about it in the gym. Um, I mean, professional boxers obviously are at far greater risk because they fight. Um, they fight longer. They fight harder. They have more sparring to prepare for fights like that. So they're getting hit a lot. Um, but that does not mean that amateur boxers are not also at risk of it as well, particularly if they're... Um, elite amateurs, so like people who perform in the Olympics and things like that. It is, it is an issue that I find I find the silence on this issue very, very disturbing in the combat sports world. Uh, I think there are changes. I think there is uh, an awareness and at, at an administrative level that this is a problem, but I don't think that's filtered down to the grassroots of the sport. And I think that that is probably true for most other major sporting codes as well. There are studies that have been done that show that while while structural changes may have been made, actually getting guys on the field or girls on the field to kind of talk to each other about their head injuries or say, I don't feel right, I think I need to sit out and maybe get tested for concussion because these are the symptoms that I have, that's not happening. Yep. So that's a, real, that's a really big challenge and that requires cultural change and that is a slow process, but I do think the first thing that we can do is start talking about it. Uh, you mentioned uh, that you know even you didn't know uh, some of the, the the sort of signs of concussion when you got it yourself. Um, the the other thing that's obviously a very challenging part of this is is the gender part in terms of boxing being such a an unbelievably male dominated sport. How did how did you go with that? Yeah, it's um it's a weird world in which to be a woman. Uh, I did come across a few people who um, one one person in particular who said straight up to me, women are not built for boxing. Yep. And I, at that moment, I just thought, <laughs> my first thought was, God, I want to punch this guy. <laughs> 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 and I think, you know, it's, 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 it's such um, trash to, yep. to say that women can't be strong, cannot be capable of, of, well, in this case, quite literally capable of violence. Um, it, but my personal experience with the sport as a woman coming into it from a history of, of never having played combat sport was just how powerful my body was, quite contrary to what some people seem to think. But because, you're, because as a woman you spend a long time in social conditioning that suggests that you are weak, that you are um, you know, naturally kind of should be submissive to men more generally in society, but also that, you know, you you kind of, it's almost like you don't have control over your own body. There's a lot in society that, that tells women that their body is not their own, um, whether explicitly or implicitly. And so uh, playing a sport like this really brought home to me that 
that I can control my body in very, very powerful ways. And that's there's something really quite profound about that because you're also doing it in a context where you're literally facing your own mortality. So the, the experience of having somebody try to fight you is an experience of like, it's very, very primal, very, there's so much adrenaline that you're almost high on it. And you're also having to confront the fact that you're in danger. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a, that's a massively profound moment. I think I, maybe most people don't really think about it in quite, quite like that, but that was my experience of it. And that, yeah. that changed me a lot. I think you described uh, how you felt physically and what it did to you physically when you were really uh, at the height of your training uh, is beautifully described in the book, actually, that whole electrifying and empowering feeling that you felt almost coursing through your body. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's, it is quite unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And I kind of came to understand a bit why people who have, say, experiences of war or very kind of extremely traumatic experiences like that often find themselves kind of yearning in, in, in a weird way for that experience again because it was the time that they felt most alive when, when, when confronted with danger and death that's when they felt most alive and boxing I mean boxing in a community gym is not like being at war but it is there is there is a shadow of the same thing there I think and I also understand why people people may continue to play the sport even though they know that it's really really bad for them because that's the only time they feel like that Um, and that's that's a huge thing it's it's really hard to under under estimate how much that can affect somebody you uh, you set out on a mission to tell a story you've certainly done that did 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 you achieve without giving away you know all, all everything that's in the book but did you achieve out of it what you wanted to achieve from when you sort of put your head down and decided to do this i think i did i mean i feel like i i worked really hard to try to to try to tell a story that was meaningful but also advance the conversation about the issues that kind of cropped up in the story, I hope that I did justice to Davy's person and his legacy and his and his family and and how much he meant to people. Um, I also hope that I contributed something to public conversations around safety and sport. I really do. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not a topic that I necessarily would have come to if I hadn't been involved in it myself. But I feel like it's a really, really important conversation because there are so many people who play sport and we need to acknowledge that they may face this risk of head injury and, and what that means for them. And I just, it's, it's one of those topics that has become really, really important in the last few years particularly. And so hopefully this will go some way towards helping that conversation move forward. Yeah, no, I think it certainly will. Good on you, Stephanie. Congratulations on the book, After the Count, The Death of Davy Brown. Well done on, uh, on, on doing it, getting it published, having it out there, and let's hope that uh, it does achieve what, uh, what you hope to achieve. And I really do appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.